0: We're in Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. Let's read from verse nineteen through twenty-seven. Ephesians five nineteen. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Father, I thank you for giving Jesus your own son for us. I thank you for pouring your word out through him and for making it known to us, Lord. I thank you for preserving these truths, Lord, not just for the sake of preservation, but so that we could could know you better and live out your grace in our lives. I pray for availability, and willingness in our hearts. I pray for us to be open, Lord, not to the ideas of just a person, Lord, but to the truth that you have spoken to us. Help us to really ask that question that we do over and over again, Lord, is this from you? Is it clear? Is it right there for me to see? And if so, Lord, we we tell you yes. We tell you that we we want to please you and that we know that your way is best, Lord. Your commandments are not a burden. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is is light. To live for you truly is a delight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Marriage is good. I could even say that marriage is great. When you hear that statement, how does it sit with you? Are you agreeable? Would you say, yes, Lord? Would you say, amen? Or would there be, in hearing that marriage is good, that there's a certain amount of doubt or skepticism or or even envy, hearing that marriage is good? I say and I teach that marriage is good not because I've had a good experience, but because God says that marriage is good. I don't say that marriage is good because... One couple is, is doing better than another couple. It rests upon the truth that God has given us. When do we start to allow our circumstances to dictate our instruction? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't address our circumstances, but have we started to allow our circumstances to dictate that which we're learning from God as far as the truth that he delivers to us? Since when have we set our sights on something lower than what God has given us clearly in his word? Is, is that our normal normal mode of operation? No, it isn't. His purposes are pure, and his, his designs are perfect. We're flawed, we're hurting, yet when the Lord gives us the truth in his word, there's no doubt that it is in, indeed true and right, and we shouldn't let our sin taint truth. When we talk about weddings, there's usually a sense of celebration, isn't there? It's like dun, dun 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 people are happy. It's a day of rejoicing. But when we talk about marriage, is it more like Dun 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 dun. And I can't help but think that the dun 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 isn't just a note, but it means dun dun. Like, is there that very somber, even sense of struggling and suffering that we're identifying with in the marriage? Think about this. For most people, their wedding day is one of the most anticipated days of their life. It's a happy day. So where's the disconnect? Why do sometimes, actually oftentimes, we see the dread and the difficulty that's expressed when it comes to being married? Even in preparation for this passage, should there be this ominous attitude of, here it comes? Or should we see what the Lord says in his word? I was listening to a preacher just this last Wednesday, a podcast, trying to explain this passage. And he has a well-prepared, well-thought-out preacher on a regular basis. And he actually said, as he was reading through these verses, hold on husbands, it gets worse. As he's reading the description, and this is a, and he caught himself and he said, oh no, I should say better. But what happens? That sense of dread instead of delight had seeped in. What are the first words and phrases we think of when it comes to marriage? Is it challenging? We have had our fair share of of struggles, a lot of work, um, difficulty. Are those the first thoughts that come to our mind? Let me ask you about your relationship with Jesus, about your fellowship with God the Father. When you hear about, if you were to describe your fellowship with him, would it be work and struggle and challenge and burden Would those be the words that would come to mind? If so, I know what you need. You need to return to your first love. Not your first authority, although Jesus is your first authority as a Christian, but return to your first love and recognize the delight that he created for you to live in. That fellowship with the Lord has it turned into something that's just duty or obligation? If so, that's not the intent of your walk with God. Is it? So it is so with marriage. If the attitude, the mentality, the perspective has become one of just obligation, of just duty. Yes, there are duties in marriage. Yes, there's work in marriage, but connect that again to the context of your relationship with God. Do you labor for the Lord? I hope that you do. You should labor for the Lord, but it's a labor of love, isn't it? So because it's a labor of love, The work is not first and foremost. The love is first and foremost, and the work is not as recognizable. So it should be in marriage and our perception and our attitude towards this beautiful unity that God has put before us in his word. These principles of marriage, they are for every single Christian, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're young or you're old. They're for every single believer. Christian, this applies to you. If you're not a Christian, realize and receive the greatest love ever given, the love of Jesus to his people. Dozens of times in the Bible, God compares his relationship with us to marriage. So there's a lot to learn through this comparison. I'll read to you and you'll be shown these verses that show that God compares our relationship, our fellowship with him to marriage. Isaiah 54:5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Luke five thirty four, And he, and I added that is Jesus, said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Revelation nineteen seven: Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is it not true that marriage is a picture of your relationship with God? It's a picture of your fellowship with Jesus. And it's not just a symbol Hang with me here. It's actually the substance. It's not just that we're like a bride. We are the bride. It's not just that Jesus is like a bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. And understanding what the Lord says about marriage certainly affects the way we walk with him. We live it out in our marriages too. But don't you see that the more we understand marriage, the more we're gonna understand the union that we have with our Lord Jesus God is our Abba Father. We've studied that principle many times in the scriptures, that he's tender towards us. And that we really do have him, yes, as our authority, but we can literally, on his lap, be close to the Lord, that Abba Father principle about the character of the Lord in the word of God. Even if you didn't have or don't have an Abba Father in this life, as far as the tenderness, you can still learn from that comparison, can't you? Even if you're not a father, can't you learn something about what the word says? That he is to us our Abba Father, and we should call on him in that manner. Yes, we can learn from that comparison. So it is so with marriage. God has drawn the parallel, so it's definitely worth pursuing. I realize this is a long introduction, and you're wondering when is the first point. There's many points in here, but I just haven't numbered them, so I'm really not rambling. If you're a teenager, chances are you'll be married someday. Now, it is true that some are called to not marry, to be single. But most people, the majority of people, are called by God to be married at some point in their life. Even if you're young, marriage may be a lot closer than you think it is. It happens pretty fast. I was listening to a a pastor, and he said that he asked his wife 19 days after he met her if she would marry him, and she said yes. I thought, wow, that's even faster than me. That guy's fast, right? Uh, That's quick. They were married six months later. My mom and dad got married when she was 18. I married Michelle when she was 19. You say, well, the world's not just that way. It's not that way now. If the Lord puts that person in your life, it very well might be that way, So study this in advance. Let me tell you something that you already know. Once you meet the person that you believe with all your heart that you're supposed to marry, your judgment is not the greatest, right? (laughs) To put it lightly. There's a cloud around you. And I now speak to people that are very young and some people that are indeed very old. There's something that happens, and you're hoping, let me hold on to my good judgment, let me hold on to what God says in his true word and not get so enraptured. Yes, I want to be enraptured, but let that not dictate my decision. So now is a wonderful time to look at what God says about marriage. Don't you want your future to be defined by the designer? Don't you want your choices, your huge choices, and this is a huge choice, to be according to what his word says and his truth says? Now is a great time to do that. For the unmarried in general, whether you're 20, 40, 60, or 80, let me tell you something about God's will. He is very surprising at times. We chart in our minds the course that we believe God has for us. And then he shocks us sometimes. He does things in our lives and changes our hearts and our minds in ways that we think, what happens? Well, the Lord is the master of your life. You're not the master of your own life. And you might have a certain perception that you've got your life mapped out and I'm not going to get married till I'm 31. And then I'm going to have three and a half children and whatever it is, (laughs) or I'm going to live for, you know, I'm I'm not going to get married for the rest of my days. And the Lord very well might surprise you because you're not the driver of the vehicle, right? He is. I hear people say, and, and, so, and I, I try not to say, I told you so, but sometimes I do. They say, well, I, I, I just, I'm not going to get married. And then lo and behold, <laughs> like what happened? Well, I, the, the Lord is, is, is showing you the way. So what better time now to see what the Lord says in detail about marriage? The bottom line is that if you're unmarried, you might be called to stay unmarried. But it's still a good time because of what the Lord teaches us through his design to know, to walk, to see the parallels. Don't be caught unknowing. Don't commit to marriage before you even know what it is. Christian marriages can and should be a beacon of light for unbelievers. Yes, our personal testimonies should shine for Jesus. You say amen. But it's also true that our marriages should beam forth to this unbelieving world with the love and the light of Christ. Is that happening? It's also true that our marriages can be blasphemous to the Lord as Christians, that people can look on and say, that's marriage? Why would I want anything to do with that institution, so to speak? We can misrepresent our maker in our marriages. So the goal is to shine for the glory of God, for his good pleasure. Yes, in our personal walks with the Lord, but also in our marriages. We read 21 through 24. Let's read that again. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So let's cover three questions. Before I do that, I, I really do welcome the questions if you would text me or email me or message me because as I consider this passage, I think this subject I've taught more than anything else, not necessarily in the context of the whole body of Christ, but in counseling, over half of of what I do relates to marriage and family, and usually marriage. There are a ton of different angles. There's a ton of different questions. If you have a question, please ask it. Don't just harbor it to yourself and say, oh, this is probably too, but no, I don't, I'm not saying I have the answer, but search it out in the scriptures because there's so many accurate ways to teach marriage. First of all, I ask you the question, how do we submit to each other? Because look, submit here means rank. It means to come under rank. That's the literal meaning. So how can it be? Look at verse 21, that we're told to submit to one another. And then the very next verse, the Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then it goes on to describe the headship of the home and that a wife should be subject to her own husband. Is there a contradiction there? Is it as though they trade back and forth? At one point she's obeying him and then he's obeying her. Who's in charge? Is it rotating? You like that idea? Depending on the day of the week or the subject? Why does the Bible say submit to one another? And this is in the context of the body of Christ as a whole, and then right after that it says, wives submit to your husbands. Well, I think the key is at the end of verse 21 where it says, in the fear of God. All of our decisions should be under the fear of the Lord. This means that all decisions are to be made with the questions in mind. What does God want? What pleases him? What does he desire? What does his word say? The wife may bring that up to the husband. Or the husband may bring that up to the wife. And it's not really based on who pointed out what that godly, God-fearing decision is. But in that point, they're submitting to one another, whoever brings it up, right? Whoever points it out in the fear of God, knowing that God is our ultimate head. He's our ultimate authority. We get caught up because we start to push for our own way, don't we? Instead of asking the question, first of all, what does God desire for us? How do we live under the fear of God? It's not first and foremost about what I want or about what she wants. It's about what does the mind of Christ say to us? And do we have that like-mindedness as we would study it in Philippians chapter two? Do we have the same mind? And it is the mind of Christ pushing instead for the way of the Lord, living in the fear of God, instead of for what we might want. Now, how do we determine what is pleasing to the Lord? What decisions are made in the fear of the Lord? How does that happen? God's word is incredibly detailed. We go to his word first, and there are a host of subjects. It's not difficult to find. It's not as though the Lord has hidden specifics away somewhere in his word. It speaks to so many areas of our lives. He speaks in his word to us about our priorities, about our living environment, about what we watch, what we drink, how we spend our money, how we raise our kids, how we spend our time, how we serve about how we should rest, about sexual intimacy, about jealousy, about guarding against sin. The word of God is packed with specifics on how we are to live out our lives in the context of marriage and individually to please the Lord. But the question is, are we looking for his way? The question isn't, what can I get away with? The question should be, what is best It shouldn't be what is permissible to God, but it should be what is pleasing to God. Is that where we're starting? Making decisions, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I submit to you that that does not happen often enough. That our first inclination and our first pursuit isn't that often enough. That we need to say, we're submitting to one another in the fear of God. That is true in the context of marriage. It's true in the context of the body of Christ. That person brings. This is clearly good to God. It's truly pleasing to him. It's a decision to be made in the fear of the Lord. That's how we submit to one another, to each other in the fear of God. Question number two, well, who has the final say? So let's talk about this a little more. There are times when the Bible doesn't speak specifically to a situation. What do we do then? Well, there are overarching principles in the Word of God that are maybe not right down to the specifics. Let me give you an example. I can't think of a verse in the Bible that says, cut your cable TV. (laughs) But I do know that the principle in the Word of God is that I should set no evil thing before my eyes. So the question is, is that dish or cable or streaming or whatever, is it the source of me setting evil things before my eyes And if so, why aren't I applying the principle of the word of God to my life and to my marriage and and to my family? Do you see how sometimes we sit there and we say, well, the word of God isn't specific enough. Well, actually, there are principles that apply very directly to many decisions that we make. But what if the path to carry out God's principles isn't entirely clear? Doesn't that happen sometimes where we see the principles of God's word, and we we can see his principles being acted out in a few different decisions. Well, then husband and wife should pray intensely together and should seek wise counsel from each other and even from those others in the body of Christ. How often does that happen? Is this the way we, in the fear of God, saying like, Are we praying together about our big decisions? Are we saying, Lord, which principle in your word is unfolding in my life right in front of me? We should be doing that because at this point, don't you think that the right decision will be made clear to both the husband and the wife the vast majority of the time? Yes, it will. That there'll be a clarity after that time of prayer Seeking the Lord about his principles, looking for wise counsel, coming through the word of God. The sad reality is that many couples don't carry out the specifics of God's word or his principles. They don't pray together at all, maybe for their, their lunch or dinner. But as far as praying about decisions or seeking of wise counsel, a lot of times we just want to argue about who's in charge. Are there some specifics in Scripture that you should immediately apply? If so, then do so together. Are there principles that have been neglected? You're not putting them in practice. Stop neglecting. Reorder under the Lord. Are you praying together and giving each other wise advice? If not, today is the day. The direction of your marriage will change drastically and it will be for the better. Now, if all of that is practiced and we're at an impasse, we've looked at the specifics, we've looked at the principles, we've prayed, we've sought godly counsel together, who has the final say in that decision? The husband does. The Bible says it clearly right here. Who has the final say? Now, I want you to think of this. A team has a head coach, the construction crew has a foreman, the store has a manager, the sheriff's department has a sheriff, the country has a president. I can't think of any union, entity, or organization that runs smoothly without a chief executive. And I'm not, I'm I'm grasping, like I'm looking what entity organization union doesn't have a chief executive and it runs well now maybe i'll bore you for a little while but for the first 11 years of united states history we didn't have the constitution we had the articles of confederation we had no president and it was so democratic that we never got anything done there were like 13 heads right we're like we don't want a president we don't need somebody to make the final call on certain things Was there a lot of accountability? Yes, but it was the most ineffective debacle. It was, I mean, 11 years and you decide to change your whole government because you realize we need a chief executive. That's part. Now they added quite a few other things also. But I consider this unbelieving world and how many of them mock their maker. And yet they they employ his principles quite often and they don't want to give him credit, for he is the almighty God. That structure in the context of the home and marriage is something that this world right now is just kicking against with intensity. And it's not because it's irrational. It's simply because we don't want to do things according to God's design. And the idea that somebody would need to be that final say at some point in order for us to function not come to an impasse and have everything just explode. So the last time I taught this passage on a Sunday morning was in 2018. And my notes said that in eight, at that point I had been married for 18 years. I asked Michelle, how many times could she remember me making a decision that she did not agree with? How, how many times? Now, I'm not talking about bad decisions that I knew after the fact, and I made plenty of those, okay? I'm talking about we... I decided in our marriage and in our home to make a decision that she did not agree with and you know, told, warned me against it or whatever, and she could remember three times. So that was after 18 years of marriage in 2018. So yesterday, I asked her, and I said how many times do you remember like that me making a decision not just a bad decision that I had to come back for and there's been plenty of those ones, but I made a decision, you disagree with. We, we, we sought the Lord and all that and she, she said I can't remember any so this is one of the blessings of being married for a long time and getting old <laughs> after 23, they, we just, she couldn't remember any anymore and I couldn't remember any either and I was thinking, well, my notes say that you remembered three times five years ago. And I'm thinking, well, maybe there's not. I mean, but you see how at times that it, it does need to happen? And I'm not saying this. I don't have a good marriage because I earned it. And I do have a good marriage. But if some people say like, well, I, I don't want to hear from somebody that has a good marriage. I want to hear from somebody that has a bad marriage. <laughs> bad. That way I can you know identify with them. So in any of the rest of your life, do you seek out advice from somebody who is a disaster at that which you need to be fixed? When I need my computer fixed, I call Arthur, right? Because he, his computer isn't broken. He knows how to fix it. And I'm saying, so in the context of marriage and saying, this is, God works in that. Look at what the Lord has given us. He has set up A chief executive in the home, and it's the husband. He's not to be a tyrant. He's not to be a dictator. There are many checks and balances. We have the Bible, which is so much better than the Constitution. The husband doesn't even use that veto power very much, but his wife is called to submit to him. That is God's design. Now, there are many more questions regarding submission. I hope to cover some of those. They're just kind of making you feel at home right now. You're like, yeah. (laughs) And um, so am I really that loud? Is my voice that loud? Maybe he can hear me and he didn't like it. Maybe she didn't like it. She was (laughs) racking off some rounds. She's streaming right now. And she's like, man, I can't stand what this guy's saying. (laughs) Uh, Let's get back. Some of those questions were already covered when Arthur taught 1 Peter 3 this last Thursday. But some of those questions are, what are the scriptural limits on submission? What is the motive behind submission? And what does the phrase, as the Lord, as to the Lord, mean in verse 22? So I hope to come back in the very near future, possibly even Thursday, and cover some of those, because it's definitely a complicated topic that's worth investigating. Um, Let's get to verse 25, husbands, husbands. And husbands, this is for you. Are you emulating Jesus's love? What is most important about the husband's role is not those final decisions, so to speak. What's most important is Christ-like love for his wife. Husband, you are commanded to love your wife just like Jesus loves you. Let that soak in. Do you know the love of Jesus? I say to you, man, have you known the depth of his love and his sacrifice? Now God says specifically to you, you love your wife the same way that I love love you with a love that deep, with a love that big with a love that sacrificial his thoughts towards you are like the sands of the sea what are your thoughts like towards your wife are they numerous Jesus prayed for you in the garden and blood was dripping from his brow. Do you pray for your wife? Jesus willingly endured the torture of the cross for you. That's a whole lot of love. Do you find it bothersome if you are even inconvenienced by your wife? Jesus demonstrated his love for you. Listen to this. And me while we were still in our sins. But God demonstrates his own love for you, in that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if the attitude is, I'm waiting for my wife to be worth loving, or to somehow merit the love that I so desire to give her, is that Jesus? Jesus loved me when I was still in my sin, when I was his enemy. Are we waiting until our wives deserve our love? That's not the way Jesus loves. When you make a decision in the context of your marriage for your family, your first priority should be the spiritual well-being of your wife. How can I say that? Because Jesus' first priority is your spiritual well-being. He wants to save you and sanctify you. Isn't that what the Bible says here? So right at the top of our list, men, should be, how is this going to go for my wife's walk with the Lord? Did Jesus put you first? Does he continue to put you first? Does he put himself first? No, he doesn't. And so we have the love. God strengthens you and he will strengthen you to love your wife with that kind of love. Now, let's talk about this. If, if you have the strength only by God, that thankfulness, thank him that he gave you that strength. But then, in response, please listen, don't expect, well, now I've loved and God has given me his love for my wife and I am ready for all of the appreciation and thankfulness that she is going to pour out to me, because I have loved her in such a godly manner. Do you see, man, how we just get so fast to say, like, okay, now I've loved her, and I really can't believe I was able to love her that way, and now I am fully expecting her to be very grateful, thankful, maybe even praise me and pamper me, because I've been so loving. I've heard this said before so many times. It just continues to be propagated. If a husband is loving his wife like Christ loves the church, she will easily follow his lead. That sounds nice. But you may be mistreated even if you love. I know a husband. His name is Jesus. He has loved perfectly. And his bride has not treated him with great appreciation or thankfulness quite a lot of the time. So husbands, in this command for you and for me to walk out in our lives, the closer you get to Jesus and the more you know his love, the more you're going to be able to emulate that love. Ladies, a man can't love you if he doesn't know God's love. He might have a certain capacity in his own strength and he might really, really like you and think, man, she's worth my patience and my kindness and my generosity and all of that, my affection. But if he hasn't experienced the love of God, how can he then turn around and love his wife the way God has loved him? He doesn't know what it's about. So that cluelessness that you might see in certain men, it might be because they don't know the love of Jesus. And men will do almost anything to win the woman that they so desire. So they'll be just full of, like, what do I need to do? But if they don't know the love of Jesus, how will they then love you? Husbands let go of any deserving or entitlement that might be in you. Love her and lead her like the Lord has commanded you to, not because it works. When you read so many and watch so many things about marriage, it's, I appreciate the nuts and the bolts of like, this is what you should say, this is how you should act. That's some good stuff, but foundationally, there's something missing, isn't there? We talk about, well, this is the problem, fix it. I get that a lot, like, here, here's the problem, fix it, right, what, what you know, tighten that bolt up, shore it down, cut off some ends and make it better, right? When foundationally speaking, the Lord has commanded you and I to do this, husbands, and it's not conditional. The love isn't conditional. Be the initiator of love and then wait and be patient. Didn't the Lord wait for you? You nodded your head and you said, yes, he did for a very long time. God left the choice to submit to you. Did God demand your submission? Are any of you Christians because God came down, strangled you, and said, You're going to do what I want you to do? Could He force us to submit? He could. But not one of us are saved today because God took away our choice to live for Him or not live for Him. Instead, He loved us and continues to love us. And we then had the opportunity to say, You're my Lord. And as we studied this last Thursday night, that same little l lordship is there. Like, the reason that submitting in the context of the passage can even happen is because of the love. You might say, well, that will never work. Men, I understand. We are practical. And most women are practical, too. Like, I, I, I want something practical. If I love her sacrificially, unconditionally, if I give, 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 and I wait, 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 you don't know my wife. She will not come around. She will use me and abuse me, and I will just be one gushing love machine, and she will not ever start to practice the the biblical part of marriage. So this isn't going to work, right? I tried to love. It was two or three days, and I had my fill of it, right? (laughs) So I'll speak in terms of pragmatism right now. Didn't the love of God work on you? The word says that his kindness led you to repentance, that the goodness of God, even though it took a long while, melted you, softened your heart, turned your life. So if you don't believe that love can change, just look at yourself. It was the kindness of Jesus that led you to repentance, it was his love towards you that drew you in. Yes, he is a God of judgment. He will not strive with men forever. He will not put up with our sin. There's, there's a sense of chastisement and even ultimate judgment there, but it was the love of God that caused you to turn to him, wasn't it? So husband, be that initiator. Act according to the will of God. And that's something that we put on each day, isn't it? Renewal, Lord, Teach me how to love my wife. Because even after this amount of time, I need that much more of you in me to do that. Powered by the Spirit, to love the one that you gave me to be one flesh with. Oh Lord, I pray for anybody that doesn't know your love right now, that they would know it, that they would receive it, that they would believe it, that they would see that your sin, that their sin on you is the only way to be saved. You took our sin to the cross, Lord Jesus. I pray for us, Lord, that we would not go our own way, that we would not continue to go our own way when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to us understanding your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would indeed be open to anything and everything that is of you, that we would look at our broken world and this culture that just doesn't know up from down and say, Lord, I can either live the way they're telling me to or I can, I can hold on to your truth and your word. We pray for the patience. We pray for the resolve. We also pray for the delight that you say marriage is, Lord, that we would have your, your priorities and your perception. In Jesus' name. I pray, amen.